So welcome back to Psychiatry XR, where we aim to inspire worldwide conversations around the use of extended reality in psychiatric care. I'm your host for this episode, Kim Bullock, and we're happy to have Dr. Giuseppe Riva as our guest on the podcast today. Giuseppe Riva is a PhD and director of the Humane Technology Lab at Catholic University in Milan, Italy, where he's full professor of general and cognitive psychology. Dr. Riva is also director of the Applied Technology for Neuropsychology Laboratory at the Instituto Oxologico Italiano Milan, Italy. According to the scientific database Scopus and IS Web of Science, Riva is the scholar who authored the highest number of peer-reviewed scientific publications in the field of virtual reality in the world. And we're so happy to have Dr. Riva join us. Thank you so much. It's such an honor to have you. Thank you. Thank you, Kim. So I think that we first met in 2017 when I invited you to our Stanford Psychiatry uh, Annual CME Innovations Conference on Virtual Reality and Behavior Change and to speak about the use of VR in eating disorders. And you were really my very favorite speaker. And I, I feel and still do that you have the deepest understanding of an intuition about the potential of embodied and body transfer experiences in XR. And I know you're involved in many XR projects. And I'm just wondering, yeah, what uh, maybe you could start off with just what you're most excited about right now in your work and the realm of clinical XR. Yeah, well, I think that uh, XR now offers the possibility of uh, reducing the distance between the two sides of mental health, uh, biological psychiatry and psychotherapy, offering the best of both worlds. Uh, well, we, you know very well that the mental health treatment world is split in two. On one side, we have biological psychiatry. The, the core of biological psychiatry is the vision that all psychological states are brain states. So uh, mental uh, diseases uh, are typically described as uh, chemical imbalances in the brain. And the success of psychoactive drugs uh, is surely supporting this vision. But uh, on the other side, we have psychotherapy. Psychotherapy is totally different because uh, for psychotherapy, the person's environment and life experience are strictly connected to how the brain develops. And uh, psychotherapy tries to, to modify how people perceive reality because the, the basic idea, you know very well, is that behind the psychotherapy is the goal of uh, altering perception of reality, providing new meanings to what happens to, to people. And well, the two worlds are very, very different, but uh, we need both. And I think that uh, XR is uh, the right tool for connecting these two visions, because uh, on one side, uh, XR, virtual reality, augmented reality are experiential technologies. So in VR, you are present in the simulation. And when you experience something, you can easily modify an experience and you can modify the meaning of this experience. So typically, uh, virtual reality has been used uh, as a tool to modify the explicit meanings, but also the automatic reactions to a specific experience. On the other side, uh, XR, this is a less known uh, side of XR, is also a cognitive technology. 
because uh, neuroscience uh, recently underlined that VR and AR are based on the same simulative mechanisms used by our brain. So in XR, you have both experience and cognition, the brain and reality. And uh, if we are able to put them together, we have a totally new tool that can, uh, in my opinion, really enhance the outcome of mental health treatments. Yes, yes. I was thinking, you know, that it's sort of like, you know, we are, we're understanding more that our reality is set up by predictive coding, that yeah. it's a way to alter that coding in a sense through experience that kind of rewrites code through experience. Is there a, a project that or something specific that you're doing that excites you more than another project or is it all equally exciting to you? Well, I think that eating disorder is, uh, has been my goal in the last 20 years, so it's not so novel, but it's really exciting for me because uh, eating disorder is probably the, the most difficult pathology I ever met because uh, in eating disorder, you don't have the patient supporting you. You don't have a real clinical alliance. And for this is really, really demanding. Therapists work in this field, and you know very well, sometimes burned by this situation. And I feel that now the emergence of the metaverse and the possibility of creating avatars with ease, because when I started VR during my PhD dissertations, having a VR system was really difficult. We had computers that were large like a fridge and they cost hundreds of thousands of dollars and were impossible to achieve for research. Now for a clinician, you have the tools you, you have the technology, it's cheap, it's something that you can use, you can have. I think that for eating disorder, the availability of new systems will be a huge push for improving the treatment. So I'm very happy because one of the main barriers for the use of technology in mental health, the cost of the technology is now disappeared. Yeah, I mean, you're bringing up, you know, like 46% of adolescents in the U.S. are reporting feeling dissatisfied with their bodies. I know my generation, including myself, most women feel pretty dissatisfied um, and probably not just women, just people in general. Is there a way that you could summarize or, or simplify what you know about these kind of body swapping experiences that you've created and others have that change body image, especially in the realm of body satisfaction? Since we know, as you were saying, kind of the research that you can help a lot of people, at least in our eating disorder clinics, you know, you can help people with their eating behaviors and normalize their eating. And they're even they can know that their images are distorted and be more accurate in their predictions. But the sense of dissatisfaction seems to linger and body dissatisfaction seems to be the toughest symptom to make an impact on an, in regular CBT for those suffering with it. So, yeah, I don't know if there's an easy way to simplify the, the mechanisms yeah. or the things that you're thinking might help. Yeah, yeah, of course. I will try. It's complicated. A little complicated, but I try to simplify as much as possible. The concept of body swapping is the idea that you can use virtual reality to experience a totally different body. And it's a totally novel experience. When, uh, for instance, I tried for the first time and experienced a female body, I was surprised. I was surprised because it was totally different from my daily experience. And uh, using this experience, I understood that virtual reality 
right, has really the power of putting you in a different body. But why putting you in a different body? Well, as you told before, the emerging neuroscience paradigm is the one of predictive coding. Predictive coding is the idea that our brain functions as an active inference machine, as a simulator that tries to learn the statistical patterns of the outside world and creates, develops prediction to improve the efficiency of information processing. So the basic idea is that everything, including our body, is outcome of a prediction. Even if we consider our body as something as physical, as something that you can touch, feel, well, neuroscience and clinical neuroscience suggested that this is not the case. If we think to the experience of phantom limbs, phantom limbs, you don't have anymore your leg, but you feel the leg in the space and you can even feel pain in a leg that is no more there. I think that phantom lips suggest clearly that even the experience of the body is a prediction. And uh, the problem is that predictions can be wrong. And apparently, this is what uh, happens in anorexia nervosa. In anorexia nervosa, the the real body is uh, overlapped by a wrong prediction made by our brain. And uh, how you can change a wrong prediction? This is the problem, because if you use language, if you speak with people, the typical approach of psychotherapy, you are not able to achieve a significant change. Even the use of uh, drugs uh, is not effective so much because you modify neurotransmitters, but neurotransmitters have a limited role in the content of the prediction. So the only way is uh, to provide to the brain an experience that is not able to predict in advance. And putting you in a different body is one of these approaches. So when you are in a different body, you are not able to predict anymore how to move in space. And this forces the brain to revise, to change, to readapt the the prediction. And in our experience, we have found that the more you are able to use body swapping to provide this unpredictable experience of a body, the more the brain is forced to change. It's an automatic process. It doesn't require any conscious involvement of the individual, but it's like wearing a pair of glasses. You don't have to work in any way, but you look better. And this is the, the real potential of XR. Yeah, it's reprogramming of that implicit brain, it seems like, that those non-conscious processes. Yeah, got it. Okay. Yeah, I was in a um, game once where you could, you know, change in a, a vibe, a completely embodied experience where you could pick your avatar in your body. Yeah. And so I picked this ideal body that I thought was the perfect body. And then I got in it and they had a mirror and I started still feeling dissatisfied with it. And I, I couldn't feel satisfied. So that was such a wake up call for me. Uh, How are you finding these body swapping experiences for different populations? How are you um, changing? Do they need to be in the experience in a different body for a period of time to to really change that implicit brain or? Yes, yes. Uh, Well, you can have a a first uh, strong change even after one session, but uh, for uh, improving the long term, you need to have more session. And uh, progressively, you have to transform you start from the real body so 
you, you try to mimic uh, the, the real body of subject in virtual reality and you try to make it uh, smaller. So apparently it should be nearer to, to the ideal body of ideal. the subject. Okay. And then uh, progressively you move. So we typically use BMI. We start from a BMI of 15 and progressively we move the BMI up to 18. That is the typical uh, uh, range for uh, healthy subjects. And progressively you shift. And the more the subject is able to cope because the other side is the emotions that you experience when you are in. As you told Mm -hmm. us before, there is an automatical change implicit, but also you have to work on the emotions induced mm. by the experience of the of being in a body that is not your real one, the one you want. And uh, so you use uh, CBT, typical tools of CBT for desensitize these uh, negative emotions related to the body, and you use the automatical change induced by virtual reality to produce this change. We typically use uh, autobiographical recall, for instance. So we ask Mm -hmm. the subject to uh, remember positive feelings related to the experience of the current body. So Mm -hmm. in the past, when they experienced a good feeling related to that, and typically it's very far in time, but uh, uh, the experience of the body is very is a very strong elicitator of uh, uh, our memories, and these memories are very powerful for healing the negative emotions related to the subjects. Got it. So it does sound like you sort of need um, the navigator, the the psychologist or mental health provider with you during the experience. That yes. those two work together. You're finding it's you can't just go in and have uh, some implicit reprogramming. Reprogramming works, but it's not enough because you have these negative emotions that are connected to the experience. You know know very well, it's like food. You can expose people to VR food and after some times uh, you you have uh, an automatical desensitization in relation to the food, but uh, still the meaning you provide to the food is there. Yeah. you need both. You both. need working on the implicit level, but also the explicit one. Well, um, so given your presence really early on the scene and these experiments you've done, especially with eating disorders being incorporated into mental and behavioral health, do you see any specific roles for psychiatrists that they may be able to contribute in some way or play in the evolution? It seems like psychologists have been doing this for years and years, and we're just kind yeah. of coming onto the scene. Are we too late? Do we have value? Or would, would you see anything that we should be a, as a field trying to do? Well, I think that uh, for psychiatry, the predictive coding world is providing a new door for entrance in this field because uh, the emerging field of clinical computational neuroscience that connect how brain circuits are involved in the predictive functions well, it's a typical competence of psychiatry. And moving from uh, the static analysis of the brain, so I think that for many times, psychiatrists were focused on localization and neurotransmitters. If uh, they move from uh, a static approach to a dynamic one, so understanding how the brain uh, 
works during predictions and how this prediction can be modified in some way. And drugs also play a critical role. We know very well that uh, many uh, serotonin, uh, dopamine, uh, neurotransmitters uh, are involved in the predictive functions of the brain. So probably if uh, psychiatrists uh, try to, to merge the knowledge of predicting coding with the typical one of psychiatry, they probably may identify new tools and also strategies for improving mental health. Yes, that is good, good advice. Yeah, we kind of need to take a more holistic network view and yeah, take a, another perspective. I like that. And I think we're, we're definitely getting past the neurotransmitter phase. So what, if any, are the biggest barriers that you're encountering in, in your research and in your practice of XR in the field? Well, when, when I started, the, the biggest barrier was uh, the cost of technology and the development of uh, the tools. Uh, uh-huh. Technology was really very expensive, even for programming a very simple virtual reality experience. Uh, programmers required a lot of money. So most of our work was uh, in finding the money for developing tools. Now that uh, tools are cheaper and uh, that development is easier, the the biggest barrier is uh, related to, I think, uh, the world of psychology and psychiatry. Many colleagues uh, do not understand the potential of this technology. And especially in schools, in universities, we don't have many courses uh, dealing with these topics. I struggled a lot uh, in the last years to push my rector to introduce a virtual reality course inside the the, the main program, the the master program in psychology. And now I succeed, but still now I know that in Italy, no other university has a, a specific course on that, on clinical virtual reality. And uh, if you don't understand when you are a student the potential of technology and virtual reality, in my opinion, it's not so easy later on to introduce technology in the tools that you can use in your clinical practice. Got it. So the training gap. Yes, I think that the the training gap is probably now the biggest one. And Uh, We know that things are moving very fast. We know that now a lot of companies are working for the metaverse, and I'm sure that the metaverse will be a big hit in the last five years. And not being aware of what is happening, because many colleagues are not aware of uh, uh, what is metaverse, of uh, how many money companies are invested in it, is probably the biggest area of investment now. And when people invest billions of dollars in research areas, you can for sure bet that things will change. Yeah. Well, what do you think needs to be done to reach optimal success, in your opinion, like in the next 20 years for humane extended reality and clinical use? Well, I think that also we need easier development tools. So still now, even if development is easier, there are not easy tools uh, for uh, psychiatrists and psychologists for developing the world. We need the Minecraft of uh, 
clinical tools uh, in VR. So my sons are very able of using Minecraft for developing very complex virtual reality world, but uh, we don't have the same tools for psychiatrists and psychologists. If we can have the Minecraft of mental health, uh, I think that uh, the ability of developing uh, different experiences that are tuned, adapted to the characteristic of the final user will improve a lot the potential of these tools for mental health. Got it. Okay. Is there any platform that you think has any promise for doing that, for experiments? One of them is really targeting clinicians. So they have very good development tools, easier than the typical tools you find in the metaverse arena. But uh, the big issue is that, uh, for for instance, for clinician, assessment is critical and you don't have any assessment tool inside. For us, uh, for instance, uh, could be very important to know where the patient looks at. Uh, eye tracking can be very powerful for understanding uh, attention, emotional involvement, and so on. But you don't have these tools uh, up to now, even if the technology is available. So you can now buy the Vive with the eye tracker. Mm -hmm. And also Meta will release a new eye tracker with this function in the next uh, two months. But uh, you don't have the software that is able to explore yes. yes, I agree. Yeah. Okay. Well, what else do you think you'd like to share with our listeners today? I want to tell you about uh, my next research area. Up to now, virtual reality has focused on the external reality. So virtual reality is uh, uses computer graphics to reproduce the external world. But for mental health, I think that we need tools for simulating the internal world. And uh, um, we are working on uh, a new idea, the, the idea of sonoception. Sonoception is the use of sound of vibrations for stimulating the internal body. It's a totally new area because we don't have tools for that. Uh, my students are developing uh, prototypes for activating mechanoreceptors. So inside the body and outside the body, there are mechanoreceptors that if you touch them, if you stimulate them, uh, you induce a change in the insula, in the heart rate, heart rate variability, in many functions uh, related to emotional regulation. It's a, a huge area, very, very exciting, but very at basic level. We started working on that a couple of years ago, and we know that it's possible. So we can simulate the internal reality, but uh, we need the technology. Wow, that is uh, sounds very exciting. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time, Dr. Riva. We so appreciate it. And um, I hope to have you again. I know there's so much more that we could talk about. Thank you, Kim. It was a real pleasure for me. And uh, for anyone interested in my work, I have a website, GiuseppeRiva.com, in which you can find most of my research papers. So please uh, download them and find new intuition for improving uh, your mental health work. Ciao. That's it for this episode of Psychiatry XR. We hope you gained a new perspective on the use of extended reality in healthcare. And thanks for listening. This episode was brought to you by Psychiatry XR, the psychiatry podcast about immersive technology and mental health. For more information about Psychiatry XR, visit our website at www 
www.psychiatryxr.com. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast and tune in again next month to hear from another guest on XR and psychiatric care. You can join us monthly on Apple Podcasts, Twitter, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. Kim Bullock produced this podcast with the help of Faiza Arshad and Jessica Hagen, and we credit our grateful to Austin Hagen for music and audio production. See you next time.